The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then 14 through 18. John chapter 1, 1 through 5, and 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Preaching out of a brand new Bible this morning. Still smells fresh, so buckle up. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Justin Curtis. I serve as the executive pastor here at Coram Deo, uh, specifically kind of in the areas of leadership development. But over the last couple of weeks, in addition to my normal responsibilities, I've had the privilege of being the interim student ministry director. So I want to pause for a moment and invite, just for a couple seconds, those of you who are in middle school or high school, would you please stand up? Just want to acknowledge your presence in the room, because there are a number of you. Okay. Now, I know that can, go ahead and sit down. I know that can be awkward, but I do, I do want to acknowledge. Now, let's be honest. Every generation has its own set of challenges to it, but to be a Jesus-following, gospel-loving student today requires a whole lot of courage. So for those of you who just stood up, I want you to hear deep down that your church is proud of you, that your church family loves you, uh, and that your church family has your back, okay? We're grateful to God for you. Now, how about the rest of us, the older people in the room? When's the last time someone described you as courageous? Where do you land on the scale of anxious to courageous? I mean, if we're honest, the current cultural moment we live in is awash in anxiety. Edwin Freeman, who was a respected author, rabbi, family therapist, was quoted as saying, the anxiety is so deep in the emotional processes of our nation that it is almost as though the neurosis has become nationalized. And in a capitalistic society, 
where marketers know that the dollars and the clicks follow after the fears and the anxieties, you don't have to look too far to find something to be anxious about. So where does one find courage in a moment like this? May I propose that worshiping Jesus as God the Son is what fuels gospel courage. We're in this Gospel of John B-Sides series. We've worked through the entire gospel, and now we're going back uh, through the month of May, and we're just pulling out some particular themes. And the last two weeks, we've looked at God the Father, and we've looked at God the Spirit. This morning, we're taking a look at, ta-da, God the Son. And I know what you're thinking, right? God the Son, really, have we not been talking about Jesus every single week as we've worked through this series of the three persons of the Trinity? Isn't God the Son the one that we know the most about? But I wonder if our understanding of who Jesus is is the actual Jesus. I'm concerned that possibly by spending so much time looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we may be vulnerable to drifting into a domesticated view of Jesus. That perhaps our view of who Jesus is is that he is someone who is there to help us. He is one who will come and put his arms around us in our time of need. That he is our friend. That he is what the 1999 movie Dogma popularized, our buddy Christ brought a picture to share with you of that image. To say it more theologically, in our emphasis on the humanity of Jesus, we may have diminished the divinity of Jesus. So my goal in this sermon is really just one simple thing. I want to put our focus back on the divinity of God the Son, the eternal glory of God the Son, the pre-existent divine beauty of God the Son. Why? Because we need a bigger view of God the Son. Buddy Christ will not provide the adequate fuel that is needed for gospel courage. Awe inspires courage. Worship inspires courage. And when you worship Jesus as the ruling, reigning, glorious, powerful Son of God, you can't help but be courageous. So worshiping Jesus as God the Son is what fuels gospel courage. Now to do this work, what I want to do is I want to go back to the prologue of John's gospel in John chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles under your seat, it's going to be on page 833. Pastor Bob has pointed out a number of times as we've been studying through the gospel of John that it is likely that this last Uh, This first section of the Gospel of John may have been the very last thing that John wrote, that after penning uh, the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry, that he brought us back and returned to the beginning to remind us of the divinity of Christ. And in the prologue, I want to draw out four things particularly. I I want to show us how this prologue shows us that God the Son has a unique existence, how God the Son has a unique glory, how God the Son has a unique fullness, and how God the Son has a unique role. We're going to look at each of these one at a time rather quickly. God the Son has a unique existence. A little over three weeks ago, 
Kane Tanaka died at the age of 119 years. For the last three years, she had been known as the world's oldest person. Now, following her death, a French nun by the name of Sister Andre, who was born on February 11, 1904, has taken over as the world's oldest person at the age of 118. That's awe-inspiring, isn't it? My wife's grandmother, Grandma Joyce, just turned 93 years old this year. If you meet Grandma Joyce, it would not take long to find out that she is the queen of thank you notes. If you were to have her over to the house this Tuesday for coffee, tea, whatever, I can guarantee you by the end of the week, she would have sent you a written thank you note mailed to you. On Thanksgiving of this last year, she fell, broke her hip. She is recovering well. She lives on her own. She is always looking for opportunities to get rid of her walker because she doesn't want to look old. (laughs) At 93 years old, it would take another 25 years for her to become or move into the category of the world's oldest person. And being around her, being around anybody who's lived a long existence, is there not just kind of a sense of awe and wonder about them? To think that there are people who have lived through the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. It inspires awe, that sort of long existence. Jesus has a unique existence. Look with me at uh, verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. God the Son has a unique existence. John is connecting Jesus Christ to creation. He is claiming that Jesus existed before creation, that Jesus existed before the world began, that Jesus existed before time was set into motion, that before the world was created out of nothing, Jesus was there. That's a unique existence. Like God the Father and God the Spirit, Jesus, God the Son, is eternal. And that is good news because Jesus stands alone as separate from those gods of the world that have been fashioned out of human hands or have been created out of our own human imagination. This afternoon, if you get an opportunity, just pause and try to allow your limited imagination to consider what does it mean for God the Son to be eternal. Jesus wasn't created Jesus wasn't fashioned. The Gospel of John continues to remind us that Jesus was not born, that he was given to this world, that he was sent into this world, that he was sent into redemptive history. And as much as we love origin stories, as much as we love the origin stories of the Greek gods we learned growing up or the the origin stories we see in the superhero movies that are out there today, Jesus has no origin story. He has always existed. He always was, and he always has been. Scott Swain, in his book on the Trinity, says this, All creatures have a beginning and an end. All creatures change through seasons of growth and decay, composition and decomposition, but the sun remains the same. 
His years have no beginning, and they have no end. God the Son has a perspective unlike any other. His grasp of reality is so far beyond our comprehension. God the Son is worthy of our worship because he has a unique, eternal existence. That's the first point. Let's look at point number two. God the Son has a unique glory. God the Son has a unique glory. Lots of things in creation are glorious. They have a sense of weightiness, gravity, majesty to them. That's what it means to be glorious. Human beings are glorious. The mountains, if you ever have stepped and stood at the foot of a mountain, mountains are glorious, right? Stand next to an ocean, dip your toe in the water. You see oceans are glorious. It's not as though God alone has glory and nothing else is glorious. In fact, one of the reasons why we love underdog stories and new innovations and and these amazing feats of courage is that they bear a certain type of glory, significance, worth. Yet the glory of the Son of God is a unique glory. Look with me at uh, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Greek word for only here also means one of a kind or unique. The Son of God has a unique glory that is from the Father. The glory of the Son of God is the greatness of God the Father seen visibly in the Son. Jesus is the Son of God, not in the sense of being created or of being born or made, but in the sense of being a begotten Son who is exactly like his Father in all attributes and in the sense of having a Father-Son relationship with God the Father. Again, to quote Scott Swain in his book, The Trinity, "'Except for the personal property by which he is distinguished from the Father,' The only begotten Son is one with the Father in every respect. The Son is one God with the Father in his being, attributes, works, and worship. The Son is the Lord our God. He is the one self-existent, immutable, and eternal. He is the wisdom of God and the power of God and the fullness of divine grace and truth. The Son is the creator and preserver of all things, the redeemer and ruler of God's people, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. To him alone, who is the one God with the Father, worship is due. The Son of God has a unique unique glory that is from the Father that is unlike anything else out there. Think of it this way. As, As the Son has enough glory in it to allow the planets to orbit around it in balance, right? There's enough weight and significance and heaviness in the sun to keep everything in its proper orbit. So does God the Son have the significance to stand at the center of our lives and hold everything else in our lives in proper orbit 
around it unlike anything else can. If you were to take work, vocation, and move it as the central, most significant thing in your life, it will cause chaos, right, to your relationships, to your family, to your recreation, to your soul. It can't sustain in and of itself the weight to keep everything else in balance. Relationships can't be primary. Relationships can't be ultimate. It's not that a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife is a bad thing. They just can't be ultimate. They don't have the weight to be able to hold everything in balance. This summer, my wife and I are going to be celebrating 17 years of marriage together. I know, it's pretty impressive. We... we, Recently, we're, we're looking back, we were thinking, reminiscing on the song that we danced to for our first dance at our wedding reception, the classic rock ballad, Everything by Lifehouse, right? It's an amazing song. None of you have heard of it. <laughs> it was the first, we danced a choreographed dance to that song before that was cool, okay? We were listening to it, the lyrics, now I can't sing it because I made a covenant with the worship team never to sing up here ever. But the lyrics of that song, when it gets to the chorus, it just goes on repeat. You're all I need. You're all I want. You're everything. Everything. Over and over again. You're all I want. You're all I need. You're everything. Everything. And Tracy and I were thinking back about the lyrics of that song, and we were laughing the other day, thinking about, like, what a heavy curse to put on another person. Like a bunch of, I mean, hopeless romantics at the time, right? Like that was going on. We were saying that, singing that to each other as we were dancing. No one can live under that type of pressure. You don't have the glory. You don't have the significance. It's true of your children. If you take your children and put them at the center of your life and have everything in your existence orbit around them, I can guarantee you one of two things is going to happen. You're going to resent them or they're going to resent you. It's bound to happen. God the Son is the only thing that has the significance, the weight, the strength, the glory to be set at the center of your life and to hold everything else in proper orbit. That is the richness of the unique glory of the Son. So God the Son is worthy of our worship because he has a unique existence because he has a unique glory. Point number three, God the Son has a unique fullness. There are two things the Curtis family of seven needs to sustain ourselves through the spring sports season. These two things filled to the brim are our blue water jug and a giant bag of sunflower seeds. Now, Truth be told, whether it's Tuesday at a track meet, whether it's yesterday at a series of baseball games, the reality is, is that we end up running out, right? There never ends up being enough. The, the supply does not meet the demand. It's part of the reality that we have to face. And this is true across the board. Every cr- kind of created fullness empties itself to fill up others. Every kind of created fullness empties itself to fill up others. You know this to be true relationally, don't you? When you have to give yourself away to other people, don't you end up feeling depleted? 
It's just a human reality. And yet again, what is true of us is not true of God the Son, who has a unique fullness. Look with me at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Let me read it again. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The Son of God has a unique fullness that can pour grace upon grace out to us without reducing his fullness. Here's why this is good news. When we uh, get together, the elders, the staff leaders, we'll get together and we'll study a passage, we'll think about preparing a sermon. One of the questions we often will ask is, what is the fallen condition focus of this text? What is true about our fallen human condition that requires the grace of this passage? That could be a struggle with sin. That could be a human weakness, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually. It could be a struggle with doubt or just a lack of faith. What is, what is true about our fallen condition that is in need of grace? And the truth of the matter is, is that each and every one of us wake up each and every day in a fallen condition in need of God's grace. All of us. And the good news is that Jesus has a unique fullness of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to minister to you forgiveness, strength, faith, and whatever else you may need in whatever moment of any day, all the time, for everyone across the board since the dawn of time throughout all of eternity. Jesus doesn't get weary. Jesus doesn't get tired. He does not need to rest and recharge when he is in his divine state. He never hits empty. Jesus is not too busy for you. Jesus is more than enough for you. Jesus in and of himself has a unique fullness. We have seen that God the Son is worthy of our worship because he has a unique existence, because he has a unique glory, because he has a unique fullness. And now finally, God the Son has a unique role. Perhaps you've come across this line of questioning, whether it's from a skeptical friend or a family member. Hey, perhaps you're a non-Christian in the room this morning, and this is one of the questions that you just have looming around in your head. How could we even know what God is like? How could anyone here have a true and accurate knowledge of the divine? Would that not require someone who has seen God to make him known? Well, that's exactly what God the Son has done. And it's one of the unique roles that he plays as our mediator. As our mediator. It's really hard to trust someone without knowing them. Right? I mean, it's really hard to, to put your trust in someone without knowing them. Here's a tangible example, okay? 
real estate, buying, selling a home, pretty significant transaction that almost any of us are ever going to make, right? And, and you don't, in that transaction, spend much time getting to know the person on the other end of the transaction, right? Like, it's one of the most frustrating things about that process is you're in this negotiation about something of pretty incredible value for you, and you, have, you, don't, you don't get to meet the person on the other side. It, just, it shows the importance of, right, a, a real estate agent, somebody who's a mediator, somebody who can help to make other two parties known to one another. That's the role that God the Son plays. He helps two parties know and understand one another. Jesus is the mediator who makes God known to us. We see this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. The unique role that Jesus plays as our mediator is that he reveals God the Father to us. A.W. Pink, who was an English preacher and author, said it this way in his commentary on the Gospel of John. He said, God reveals his power and will through his word. There is no greater revelation of the character and nature of the Father than through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals God's mind. Jesus expresses God's will. Jesus displays God's perfections. Jesus exposes God's heart. You and I can know with confidence the mind, the will, the perfections, the heart of God by placing our eyes on God the Son. You want to know how God the Father treats those who are outcasts of society? Look at God the Son. You want to see how God the Father feels, right, to those who are struggling and suffering? Look to God the Son. You want to see how God feels about self-righteousness and religion? Look at God the Son. God the Son in his unique role as mediator, reveals to us knowledge about who God the Father is and what he is like. Leslie Newbigin drives this point home this way. He says, All men share the longing to know the ultimate secret of their life. Without this, they are in darkness. The good news which John shares is that the light, the only light there is, has come into the world and that the word of God has become flesh in the man, Jesus Christ. And that here, therefore, in this life, God has made himself fully known. For the beloved son, who is the word of God, is God, and only God can make God known. God the son is worthy of our worship because of his unique existence, because of his unique glory, because of his unique fullness, and because of his unique role as a mediator. Let me just try to land the plane this way. To go back to the very beginning, a domesticated Jesus who feels to us like a buddy, who is there to help us, who is a friend to put their arm around us in a time of need, may 
provide for us comfort, but he will not inspire the type of courage and gospel courage that we need today to face a changing and complex world that we find ourselves in. The antidote for our anxiety is worship. The antidote for our anxiety is worship. We need to be pulled into deeper wonder and worship. I love how Paul Tripp says, he's kind of coined this phrase. He says, hey, we've worshiped our way into this mess. We're going to have to worship our way out of it. I think that's so true. Like we've worshiped our way into this mess that we call anxiety. We've worshiped our way into this neurosis. We've worshiped our way into this, this society that is just awash in anxiety. We have freely given our affections and our worship away to the fear of man. We have worshiped vocational success. We have worshiped the comforts of the American dream. We have worshiped and given ourselves over to the lure of the American dollar. We've worshiped our way into anxiety. And we need to repent and be pulled into a deeper wonder and worship of the one who is worthy of our worship, of the one who we were made to worship. In a moment, we're going to be coming to the Lord's table together, and we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, this, this, this institution, this meal that Jesus himself uh, gave to us, and we're going to be singing the song, Jesus is Better. I love this song. I love the song. This song highlights how Jesus is better than any sorrow, that Jesus is better than any victory we have out there, that Jesus is better than any comfort, that Jesus is better than all riches. All these things that, man, when you wake up on Tuesday morning or you're laying your head down on Thursday night, all these things that have found their way into our hearts and gripped us and caused us to drift away from God the Son to give those things worship and make them primary in our life, we remind ourselves through the singing of those, that song that Jesus is better than all of those things. We need to be reminded. We're a fragile people. We easily forget and we give our love and our affection away to other things. Hey, may, may the singing of that song be a tangible action, a tangible act of repentance and faith this morning. Listen to me. You were made to worship. You can't help it. The solution is not for you to stop worshiping. The solution is for you to find a truer and better thing to worship. John, in this gospel is raising our vision to the divine, exalted glory of Christ so that as we worship him, our hearts would be filled with courage. Jesus has a unique existence. Jesus has a unique glory. Jesus has a unique fullness. Jesus has a unique role. All of these reasons are just reasons for us to worship him. Jesus is the ruling, reigning, glorious, powerful, eternal God, the Son, who deserves our wonder, who deserves our worship. If we are going to be, Cormdale, if we are going to be the type of people who have the courage to long for and to strive after renewal, 
revival, awakening, we're going to need to set our gaze on Jesus. If we are going to be the type of people who have the courage to long and strive together to see the church live out its full potential, we're going to have to set our gaze and our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. It will take courage for us as God's people in the anxious world that we're living around, living in to proclaim what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. And what fuels that courage is awe. It's worship. It's seeing God the Son for who he is and giving him the worship that he deserves. So let me just invite you to pause for a moment because I think sometimes we can take this idea of worshiping God and we can move it into the abstract or we can feel like, man, the only way that we can worship the Lord is by coming into a room like this and singing and proclaiming what is true. I want to invite you to do something that you could do tomorrow morning. I want to invite you to do something that you could do next Friday afternoon. And that's just pause for 30 minutes. I'm sorry, not 30 minutes. That's not going to work. Let's pause, for th- let's pause for 30 seconds. Just pause for 30 seconds. And in prayer, tell Jesus why he's worthy of your worship. Let's do that together. And then I'll pray for us to close. God the Son... Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. We adore you. We worship you. We praise your great and glorious name. You are who you say you are. We confess right now the ways that we minimize your divine nature through our sin and idolatry. You are full of grace and truth, and we thank you for gifting us abundantly grace upon grace. So in this moment now, would you stir our wonder and increase our affections? Where we lack love for you, would you pour out your spirit to empower us to love you more? Fill our hearts with the courage that comes from receiving you as the Son of God and humbling ourselves in response in worship. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, for your glory and for our good. Amen.